Hello, and welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. I'm Holland, and this is my best friend, Tori. Hi! If you're new to our show, we rank various forms of entertainment by different categories out of a total score of 10, with only two points allowed for our personal taste. Don't worry, we break down everything as we go. Feel free to agree, disagree, or just find something new to enjoy. Just be sure to tread lightly. There will be hot takes and spoilers. Cut to the intro. All right, so today I chose Hades Town for us to review. This is, well, now it's familiar, but it was blind when we picked this topic, and Tori and I got to see it for the first time as part of the North American National Tour. Um, so if this is new for you and you're not familiar with it, I have some facts about this production. So Hades Town is a sung-through musical with music lyrics and book by Aeneas Mitchell. I think that's how you pronounce her name. It tells a version of the ancient Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. However, interestingly enough, when I was researching for this, it actually began as a folk opera album, which was developed in 2006 by Mitchell, which he wrote in collaboration with Michael Chorney and Ben T. Matchstick who revised a version of this and presented a stage play production in 2007. Um, The original version of the musical premiered in the town of Bar, Vermont in 2006, followed by a production in, I cannot pronounce this city in Vermont, but it's Virginia's Vermont, I think. Um, Around the same year, and a tour began in Vermont and Massachusetts in 2007. After the tour, Mitchell was unsure about the future of the musical, so she turned it into a concept album, which released in 2010. Her album, Hadestown, was released in spring 2010 and got some pretty favorable, favorable reviews. And it was described as the story of Orpheus and Eurydice set in post-apocalyptic Depression-era America. And then in 2012, Mitchell met director Rachel... Chavkin, and the two started to rework the stage production with additional songs and dialogue, and the new version of the musical developed for the stage premiered off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop in May of 2016 and ran through July. Following productions in Edmonton and London, and the show premiered in previews on Broadway in March 2019. So, almost a 10-year journey from concept to Broadway. The Broadway production opened to critical acclaim and received numerous awards and nominations. At the 73rd Tony Awards, Hadestown received 14 nominations, the most for the evening, and won eight of them, including Best Musical and Best Original Score. Dang. Productions of the show have also been in Canada, London, formerly at the National Theatre, and now it actually is currently um, showing in the West End, or is upcoming, perhaps, uh, for 2024. It's there's was a production in South Korea and there's a current North American national tour as well. Okay. The original Broadway cast and I'm apologize for butchering names. Original Broadway cast was Reeve Carney as Orpheus, Ava Noblezada as Eurydice, Amber Gray as Persephone, Patrick Page as Hades, Andre De Shields as Hermes, and then Jewel Blackman, Yvette Gonzalez Nasir, and Kay Trinidad were the fates. So that's your principal cast. 
The synopsis of the play, this is from Broadway.com, which since it's currently in production and still showing, um, from Broadway.com, it says, Welcome to Hadestown, where a song can change your fate. This acclaimed new musical by celebrated singer-songwriter Ania... An- I want to say Anias, but I'm pretty sure it's Anais in the... I think she's Canadian. Okay. So I think it's Anais Mitchell. And innovative director Rachel Chavkin is a love story for today and always. Hadestown intertwines two mythic tales, that of young dreamers Orpheus and Eurydice, and that of King Hades and his wife Persephone, as it invites you on a hell-raising journey to the underworld and back. Mitchell's beguiling melodies and Chavkin's poetic imagination pit industry against nature, doubt against faith, and fear against love. Performed by a vibrant ensemble of actors, dancers, and singers, Hadestown is a haunting and hopeful theatrical experience that grabs you and never lets you go. So... That is some background if you've never heard of this production, which I had heard of it, um, but I was not super familiar with the overall plot, but we will begin to discuss it. We'll start our first category off. Tori, you can go ahead and kick us off. Okay. So same for me. Like when we went and saw this, it was completely blind. I had seen like photos, like some of the like official, I guess... I don't know. I guess you would call them like the photos that they use for like marketing and distribution. Like I had seen those photos, but that was about it as far as my knowledge for this show goes. Um, So the first category that we do for theater is plot and story delivery. And since this is a musical, this will include the song numbers. um, Since in a musical, those typically help to drive your story or tell more pieces of it. So out of two possible points, I gave this one point out of two. Um, I think that you have like a good source here and the source is the Greek myths. Um, and you know, I think if you are a nerd in any capacity, you probably had however brief some sort of point in your life where like Greek myths were interesting to you. I feel like all, all nerds in the world had their moment (laughs) with the Greek myths. Um, some of us not as deep. I would say that I was probably one of the ones that was not quite as deep into mythology, but I still like appreciated it. It did hold interest for me when I was kind of like late middle school, early high, high school. Um, so, you know, I read some of those myths, but it's been years and I haven't really touched it since then, with the exception of like Percy Jackson, which we talked about in a previous episode. Go listen to season one. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about that in season one, the first Percy Jackson novel. Um, but you have a good source here for this adaptation because the myths are, are stories that continue to like stand the test of time because you can take a lot of what's in them um, and you can apply those to different, like, I guess, retellings in what, whatever way. You can take the base of the story and put it in whatever context that you want and still sort of get the desired effect. Um, and that's what they're trying to do here. So they took, um, you know, the story of Orpheus and Eur- um, Eurydice. Sorry, my brain blanked for a second. And um, they pulled it out of, you know, ancient Greece and they stuck it into like post-depression time. So you're looking at like mid to late 1930s, early 1940s. Um, and that is definitely reflected in a lot of things that I'll talk about later, such as the aesthetics and music. Um, but I, it makes me wonder why this time frame, I guess. Um, that, 
I mean, I guess it could be any time frame, but there doesn't seem to be any clear reason in the storytelling of Hades Town, like why you might be picking this time frame. Um, and it's not like that has to ever be like an explicit thing said, but I guess I was just sitting there thinking like, this could be any time frame. I wonder why they picked this. Was it simply because they wanted to have music that was reminiscent of the era? If so, then okay, like I accept that. Um, but I don't know. It just seemed a little vague um, in that regard. I also think that the story can get a little blurry. Um, the songs do help you orient at times. Um, but there were a few times where I found myself getting a little lost. Um, I think the ensemble is incredibly talented um, and the principal cast. So I don't want to say that it's in any way their fault. But there are moments where everybody on the stage is making noise at the same time. And it you can lose some of the story moments because your principal cast may be the one like singing the main line but then you have your ensemble behind them just like making so much noise and motion it's hard to follow a lot of like what is trying to be delivered um so i think it it got a little blurry at, at times um i do think that they are pretty good about sort of making sure by the end of a song or by the beginning of, <clears throat> bless you, or by the beginning of the next number that you're kind of on the same page again. Um, but sometimes I felt like it got, it was a little messy getting there. Um, it's like if you, it kind of feels like somebody who'd never wrapped a Christmas present before was wrapping it very quickly and then they just put a really pretty bow at the end and you're like, Okay, like it 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 does the job, but maybe this could have been a little cleaner, I guess, is my opinion of that. Um, I don't mind that they kept the sad ending. Um, I don't want to like fully spoil, but like oh, I mean you're gonna have to. You're, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm have, gonna I'm okay. gonna fully spoil it. And so. they say in the very beginning it's a sad song, but we keep on singing it. So like they kind of tell you at the beginning that like uh this is not going to end great for somebody at well, least. Well, if you know the Greek myth right. of specifically Orpheus and Eurydice, then you know it has a sad ending. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that they didn't try to like retcon that, I guess. Um, try to be like, oh, well, you know, in our retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice, they're happily ever after and it's amazing. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it would have not it would have strayed too much from the source. Um, so I was glad they didn't do that. Um, the stakes are pretty high, I would say. Um, you've got the whole, I'm trapped in Hades. That seems like a pretty high stake. No, Hades Town. Hades Town, sorry. Hades is the, the man. Right, right, okay. We're, we're stuck in Hades Town. And my boyfriend is going to come get me in Hades Town. But now we have no idea how to get back. Like, those are pretty pretty high stakes, I'd say. Um, it, it's weird because it's like you're kind of playing with death, but like the way that they present Hades Town as like a place, it's like you're not really dead, but like you kind of are because you're trapped here forever. So it's it's almost like it, I don't want to say it feels like a matter of life and death, but it kind of does because you're dealing with the underworld. 
So it sort of is. It's just kind of like one of those weird, like, it almost feels like what's reality, what's metaphorical. It's like a, a weird balance between that, um, which I think is a very interesting concept, but again, does not help um, my earlier point of things sort of feeling messy sometimes about like how you're telling this story to us. Um, there's also like the big conflicts, the big conflict between Orpheus and Eurydice, which is, you know, they fall in love and Hades comes to get Persephone back from above world or whatever early. So it throws nature out of whack. So that triggers the conflict between Orpheus and Eurydice, which is Eurydice is poor and starving. And Orpheus's focus is not to clothe and feed his girlfriend. It's to fix the, the seasons by finishing the song that brings life or whatever brings it is. Spring. Yeah, yeah, brings spring. So in a way, they have the same goal, but... Orpheus is looking in the long term. Let me get to my my end goal as quick as possible. And Eurydice is looking in the right now. Um, and so there's that weird, like, sort of, like, we're, the goal is the same, but how we're doing it is, like, completely different. And there's a conflict in that. And I think that's fairly believable as far as, like, interpersonal relationships. It's like, yeah, like, we both want the same thing, but now how we're going about it can cause conflict and miscommunication and misunderstanding. And if you have like a lack of patience and communication and consideration, that like gets you in trouble. And that's kind of the base of the story here is that um, there is no communication um, because Orpheus is so focused that even Eurydice trying to come to him and have a conversation doesn't happen because he's just too in the zone, I guess. And then her lack of patience causes her to like, well, I got to take this into my own hands sort of thing. Um, so I, I guess for the most part, like that sort of conflict, I am okay with. Um, and again, it, it is all taken kind of from your source material. So you kind of know where they're going with all of it. Um, I just thought that overall, the delivery of the story looks and sounds really cool, but perhaps the cacophony of that altogether sort of made the story feel, I don't know, I don't want to say it was rushed, but it almost felt like it moved in such a way that I found myself struggling to really get emotionally attached to anything that was happening on the stage. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I felt like we were way down in Hadestown way too fast. And I think we were way out of Hadestown a little too fast too. Um, and the whole show is only like two hours um, when you, if you go to like Spotify and like pull up the, the album, like the original Broadway cast recording, it's two hours and two minutes. And this is a sung through musical. So you're telling a very chunky story in a very short amount of time. And that, I think when we saw it, like that two hours 
they only did like a 10 minute intermission or something too. Like it was not, we were, we were out of their way earlier than we expected to be. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm completely like dragging it through the mud because I think that it's really cool how they did a lot of things. I just think that it may have been, maybe the myth chosen was just a little too much of an undertaking for the amount of time that they gave it. And it would have benefited from either a longer musical or we choose a shorter myth or we cut out maybe some of the intro. Like, I feel like there could have been solutions to my little bit of dissatisfaction um and they just weren't there so it was like it was good i just didn't think it was like fantastic or perfect in its delivery so that's why i gave it one point out of two okay i also gave this one point out of two for plot and story delivery i think that overall like the delivery as far as the music goes and i think the music the hype that the music gets is is pretty warranted. Um, it's a song through musical. It's got this kind of blues jazz variety that doesn't fatigue the audience. So it's all very synchronous, I guess, in the same style and feel. It all fits the aesthetic. But you don't feel like you've been listening to the same song for the entire two hours. There's enough variety um, that it kind of gives the audience a break every now and then. There are moments where it doesn't really feel like you're being sung to, per se, but you also don't feel like you're listening to somebody very monotonous just talking really slowly. Um, which I appreciate in sung through style musicals. I think the plot, so there's kind of two plots going on in this story. And there's the plot of Hades and Persephone. And then there's the plot of Orpheus and Eurydice. And I think the plot of Hades and Persephone is very compelling. It's this very myth feeling story where Hades and Persephone are married and live in Hades town together. And when Persephone comes out of Hades town, Summer occurs, and when Persephone goes back to Hades Town, winter occurs to the rest of the world. And there's kind of this theme of Persephone and Hades are married, but there's this kind of lost love. They've like fallen out of love from each other, and they, the consequence of that, or what I gather, this is kind of my assumption because it's not actually told to you in the musical, but it seems like because they've kind of fallen out of love from each other, we have these polar extremes in the world where it's either blazing hot summer or it's freezing cold winter. And so the consequence of their relationship as Hades and Persephone has these pretty massive global consequences, you know, quote unquote global, meaning the world that we've been shown. And so I think that's a very compelling plot. It's very interesting. And then we meet this young boy, Orpheus, who says that his the gods have forgotten their love. And this song that I will sing will remind them of their love and bring spring back. So bring back the wonderful spring, which is this interim between winter and summer. And now the weather, just the climate and the weather patterns will be better for the rest of the world because it won't be this stark blazing hot scorching summer that burns and kills every crop or this freezing cold winter where people are starving and can't eat anything um you know so that's a very interesting plot and it's very compelling but i think the problem um with is with this plot is adding Eurydice to the mix. I think that the plot with Hades and Persephone and then Orpheus is a very interesting plot. But then we have Eurydice who comes in and now we've separated this whole story into two 
with Hades and Persephone and now Orpheus and Eurydice. And it just feels a little disjointed. I think like you've said, like it just feels kind of messy. It's like, well, no, we have to tell the story of these two myths. So we have to include Eurydice and we have to include the story of when Orpheus, you know, goes to the underworld to rescue her in the Greek myth. And I think that it's, they're, the bones are really good. And I feel like I say this a lot on this podcast. I feel like the bones are really good. It's a good concept. But then the follow through of it is just, it's just lacking. Um, the problem, my, my key problem is in the plot is actually the deviations that they took from the myth. So in the original Greek myth, um, Eurydice is Orpheus's wife. Hades Town is the underworld. It's the land of the dead. It is where everybody who dies goes to the underworld, whether you're good or bad. It's not hell. It's just where dead people go. And Orpheus's wife Eurydice in the Greek myth dies and goes to the underworld because that's where dead people go. And Orpheus goes to bring her back from the underworld because she's his wife and he loves her. And which I think is way more compelling than giving us this picture of this like star-crossed lovers, like puppy love romance where we meet, we see Eurydice and Orpheus meet right off the bat. And now they immediately fall in love and they're, you know, they're not married or anything because he's going to marry you after spring comes. But now you go to the underworld and like you guys just met. So there's no real high stakes. And even Hades says, in, or excuse me, Hermes says to Orpheus in the play, like, so what? You'll find another girl. Like, there will be another one to come along. So even it seems like there's not really a lot of compelling reason for us to care that Eurydice is in Hades Town because, one, she's not dead? Or is she? We don't really know. So I have a theory about this. I looked this up because there's a scene that I thought was really vague and I wanted to see what people online were seeing were thinking about this scene so I actually went on the Hades Town Reddit and I was looking at this the scene when Eurydice first gets to Hades Town and you know they sing about the wall and then there's the scene where she goes into his office and he says you know there are papers to sign some people theorize that that meeting is Hades killing Eurydice mm. so that she can, like, technically be down there. Right. And that's the deal that they, like, struck. And not everybody, not all fans agree with that theory. And I'm not sure if I do, but it's it was an interesting thought to read. Yeah. Is that perhaps she is dead and that's what occurred in the office. Right. But they never, it's never explained Mm -mm. in the play. And later, afterwards, when she finds out why the, like, the workers look the way they do, it's because they, like, do nothing but work, so they might as well be dead. It's the same thing as being dead. So they even compare, like, work in the grind to basically being dead, so they're not dead. So... I think that this this is my kind of my hot take about Hades Town. I think that Hades Town being a location and not the land of the dead is a key problem with this story. And I think one of the reasons is because if especially if the workers that are there, so the in the middle of this play, 
Eurydice and Orpheus are in Hadestown, which is it really the underworld? Not really. It's not told. It's like Hadestown is a location. So they're in Hadestown and then they realize these workers who might as well be dead because they just work the grind and they decide that we should have an up, we should form a union and have an uprising. <laughs> it becomes and newsies it halfway does. through. It does. It really does. It becomes newsies halfway through the play and it just feels a little jarring because here we had this plot with Orpheus going to rescue his love, which is not really the plot. And now it's about freeing the workers and all the stakes are, if you get out, we'll follow you. We'll be able to follow you if you get out. Like, we can be freed. Like, the whole point of, in the myth, is that they're dead. Like, they're just dead. Like, all the other people there are dead. Like, why should Hades make an exception for you, Orpheus? Because your wife died. Yeah, it was tragic, and we're sorry, but when people are dead, this is where they come. And there's no... You don't undo death. And so now you have Orpheus in the myth going against, like... He's risking life and limb for his wife versus in the play, he's risking life and limb for a girl he just met. And... I, I think it's just, it, it's like, it it just seems like almost there, but not quite. And I think that having another deviation from the myth that I think is, is problematic is, if you don't know the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, um, it's a tragedy. So at the end of the myth, in in the, the original Greek myth, Orpheus and Eurydice, Orpheus makes a deal with Hades. Just like in the play where Hades says, all right, once you get out, you can't turn around. She has to walk behind you and you can't turn around and look at her and until you get out. And in the myth, the deal was you both have to be out of the underworld before you can turn around. And if you look before you both are out, then she's mine. Like she stays in the underworld. And in the myth, Orpheus forgets that he has to wait until both of them are out. So when Orpheus steps out, Eurydice is still in the underworld and he turns to look because he's out and she's not and she hadn't come all the way out and then, you know, fail, you know? Yeah. You lose, game over. Yeah. And Eurydice goes back to the, you know, goes back. And it's it seems like it's a little less stupid of him um, to like, why would you turn around, dude? Like... It's because he forgot. Like, he was out and she wasn't. So there was just this, like, if he would wait it just a fraction of a second. And I think that that also makes the ending even more tragic because it's not like, well, you're dumb, you know? And so I think that overall, there's these this, the fact that Unlike the Greek myth where that was his wife who died tragically and he doesn't want to live without her. We've now changed this plot to Eurydice made a deal with the devil and she's suffering the consequences of her actions. And now Orpheus goes to rescue her because he he says he loves her. But when she was hungry, he wouldn't. It's just when she was hungry, he wouldn't feed her. He was too busy working on his music and... But he's going to risk his life to go save her. It just, it seems very disjointed. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost there to a good plot. And I feel like if you had stuck closer to the original myth, it would have had more compulsion and we would have cared about these people a little more and cared about what happens. I think that maybe you could have even just mitigated this by just not even including Eurydice and making the plot about Hades and Persephone and the gods have forgotten their love and focus on Orpheus 
this kind of like make him keep him like this little hopeful romantic and he has this very naive and but very pure concept of love and so focus on him and his understanding of that and and writing his song like make that the plot what if i suggest that the way they could have fixed this while keeping eurydice is that eurydice does starve to death in the winter because oh because that would be good orpheus is too busy with his music and so sh- then so instead of making it where like eurydice made a terrible decision mm-hmm. out of her impatience or out of her desire to be taken care of she does wait for orpheus and he does not provide her needs to her and she starves to death in the winter and then she goes to hades town and then he realizes his mistake right and go, that just that one change yeah, could yeah. have made this better it could have it could have but because hades town is a place it's a location with power grids and and workers and employees and, and an overlord hades because it's that and it's not the it's never told to us that it's the land of the dead and that these people are dead it it kind of loses its significance as Hades Town. That's what my point earlier was that like it feels like it tries to play the balance of like reality and metaphor like way too much, and it's like I just want you to tell me what's going on, right? You know, and I think that that's kind of a disservice to the audience because I think everybody that's going into Hades to see Hades Town has heard the name Hades and understands he's some kind of mythical deity of hell yeah. or an equivalent of hell, and. Whether, although that that's not an accurate representation of the Greek myth, I think that keeping Hades Town, the underworld and the land of the dead, is not a far jump for your audience. I think that you could keep everything the same, like keep all of the aesthetics and the the musical uh, structure, and you know keep the vibe, like the vibe, like this is real life mm-hmm. and not some like fantasy world. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a stretch that your kind of one fantastical element of the story is that Hades Town is the land of the dead. Yeah. I don't think that's a hard jump for your audience. It's not. You don't have to now have superheroes in order to to make that believable. Mm-hmm. So in general, those are my big kind of notes with the plot. And with... A couple other things that I really didn't like the Newsies plot kind of thrown into the middle. I thought it was just unnecessary. Um, I didn't understand why Hades wanted Eurydice. Like, he clearly appears after he's saying, oh, like, I I can't remember what the line is or what he says, but he basically says, like, he's deliberately going to look for somebody who can appreciate him because Persephone can't, and he finds Eurydice, and then he just makes her one of the other Joe Schmo workers. Like, I thought... And then he says to Persephone later, like, she means nothing to me. Well, then why'd you go through all the effort, bro? Right. You could have spared two people a whole lot of problems. And then um, I also don't really particularly like the fact that in the Hades and Persephone plot, do we ever know if spring comes? Does spring ever come? I don't know. I don't I don't think they answer that, no. So the whole crux of Orpheus's song was that so spring will come. Mm-hmm. It's like, does spring ever come? He sings it, but he's in Hades Town when he sings it. So I'm wondering if it even has the effect of the on the world above. Well, no, he sings his song 
so that Hades and Persephone will remember their love for each other, and then spring will spring will come. Right, but, but that's what I'm saying. But is we like, never did it make see any impact any on, impact on that. Right. So, anyways, I just think that that it's not. It, it just it has a lot lacking, and I don't think that's. A, I hate to say that because I feel like after kind of the fact sh- fact sheet I read earlier that this woman wrote this album that was basically 10 years in the making i'm like i feel like if you just had like a little more time or maybe you had one other brain in the mix just to kind of fine tune these little details it it could be a hugely successful musical and i feel like the plot alone just the plot and this that's all we're talking about here i feel like the plot of it was just kind of like i mean it was it was good but it was not it was good rapping like you said but it just wasn't a whole lot of less substance it just yeah. wasn't quite there um <clears throat> one thing that i did think uh, in we will talk about like the vocal ability and the instrumentation and stuff in aesthetics but one thing i did want to make a note because we do kind of cover the content of the uh musical so i'm going to just mention this here of the songs is that i do think that the songs are done really well and that they don't fatigue you but on the flip side of that coin, I think there are probably only maybe like two or three songs that you would walk away from the theater and that would be memorable to you, um, either lyrically or musically. Um, so I think that that's one thing that's also kind of, I, I don't think it's problematic because I think it's, it, they still function to tell the story. So that's why I mentioned it in story delivery. Um, that's just one area where I think that although there are however many songs in this musical. 40. Wow. Yeah. 40 songs. I mean, I could probably hum the tune of like two of them. That includes all reprises and stuff too. Sure. Sure. No, I would, I would count those um, because the lyrics are different Mm -hmm. in the reprise. So of like 40 songs, I think there's two that I could probably hum the tune to. So um, that's why that's another reason. uh, One out of two points for plot and story delivery for me. Okay. Wow. We had a lot to say. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Um, the next category for theater is characters. So we allot three points for this for theater. I gave it two. Um, I do think that there is um, some some really good stuff about the characters and how they're portrayed. But again, it's not perfect. There is some stuff lacking. Um, I want to start with Hermes. I think Hermes as a narrator is a really good choice. I um, agree. I think Hermes as a narrator is a really good choice because he is present enough to know all of the information needed for a narrator to deliver to the audience but he is not so close to either uh main plots or you know either of the main couples if you will he's not close enough to twist or bias the story in any way um and i think it helps when you have this kind of ties, okay, this does kind of tie to plot and story delivery a little bit, but I, I wanted to mention it more in char- in characters because I'll, I'll explain. But it's helpful when you have two main storylines and they're from very different like perspectives, if you will, to have somebody in the middle to kind of help you navigate that. Um, because otherwise, it's going to become... Um, like this is Orpheus's point of view or this is Persephone's point of view 
And I think this it's helpful when we're technically seeing it from a like third party perspective. Um, and that way Hermes can give sort of background about what's going on to the characters that he's known for millennia or whatever, because he's Hermes and he's been around as long as these other gods and characters have been. Um, so I think it's just a really great narrator. I really like also how Hermes is a character that does sing quite a bit, but there are lots of moments where everybody else is singing and Hermes is the one speaking. And I think that it's nice how they um, sort of give Hermes a distinction in almost every song that Hermes participates in, whether that is Hermes is the one singing and everybody else is just doing their action or everybody else is singing and Hermes talks to you throughout. Um, so I think it's a really good way to set Hermes apart. Um, and also the, just the, the like, I don't even know how to like say this, but like the demeanor of Hermes is very knowledgeable, but also very fun. There's not like a weird, um, like uppity sort of attitude to Hermes like Hermes is telling you what you need to know but it is delivered in sort of like a fun way um that feels kind of like familial in a way like you know like Hermes is your uncle or whatever and he's he kind of talks to the audience like that and that ha you know Hermes does have fun with characters on the stage um so and yet it's not He's not so fun and lighthearted right. that at the end, when you find out it's a tragedy, if you don't know the original myth and you now are finding out for the first time, oh my gosh, this is a sad ending. He's not been so jovial the whole time right. that now it's like, well, who is this guy? Yeah, he's he's not the the, the jester or the clown right, by right. any means, you know, he, but I just think he's a very balanced character. And because you have very different personalities on the stage sometimes at the same time Hermes just kind of feels like a very nice median to everybody in the cast so I just thought Hermes was a great choice for narrator um, I also want to make a quick note that the orchestra is not in an orchestra pit the orchestra is present on the stage and there are interactions between the cast and the orchestra and I thought that was neat um I liked that in a way the orchestra kind of is part of the cast or part of the ensemble um they just don't dance they're just there with their instruments like having a good time but I thought it kind of added to like almost like this the sense of community that's built from like the very beginning of the show um which is that you know they hang out in the the bar or whatever or yeah, the restaurant speakeasy. the speakeasy yeah they everybody hanging out at the speakeasy like this is just what we do and we hang out and we have a good time and we drink together and we play music and we dance um and orpheus buses the tables <laughs> like, yeah you know and so from the beginning you're kind of informed you know not necessarily in words but just with everything else that like all of these people are like kind of it exp this is the community this is the community and i like that the orchestra is part of that community instead of something separate um i think one thing i want to say and i i didn't know whether to put this into aesthetics or characters and i ended up putting this into characters um but your two male leads other than hermes which 
I guess Hermes is technically a lead, but if we're talking about our main couples here, you got your two male leads. You got her, uh, Hades and you got Orpheus. And they're written musically polar opposite. Um, again, it, I didn't know whether to talk about this in aesthetics or characters, but I ended up talking putting it in characters because I think the way that they're written is to, uh, I guess, give sort of an audible indication of who they are as people. Um, so if we th if we talk about Hades' voice, Hades is written for a bass singer. Um, and while he doesn't always sing in technically like the bass range, he does sometimes break out of that into more of a baritone. Um, but at its core you could not put a high tenor in that role. You just couldn't. They, he would not be able to deliver a good majority of Hades singing lines, which are down in the basement, especially in something like Why We Build the Wall, like a, a, a song like that, which he's basically just gr graveling out these bass lines. Um, but because of that, because of how he's written musically, you get an immediate indication of who Hades is as a person. He is slow, calculating. He has commanding presence and intimidation about him. These are things that you can hear just like audibly from how the parts for him are written. Now let's talk about the other side of the spectrum. Orpheus is written a very high tenor part for men. Like insanely high some of the falsetto like I would say 40 percent maybe well maybe that's a little too much 30 35 percent of Orpheus's singing parts are in falsetto um and I think what that does is that gives his character sort of this level of like lofty artist head in the clouds very romantic um you know sort of may not always be grounded in reality yeah, like but kind of idyllic yeah idyllic, idyllic dreamy kind of you know that kind of man and you hear that immediately in how orpheus's parts are written and i just thought that was in like an incredible way to sort of give you indications of character traits without necessarily delivering them in any other way but vocally um and I mean, there are other character traits, obviously, to these characters. You know, you have character design and kind of the way that they, uh, the mannerisms and those sorts of things. But in a sung through musical, it is just another layer to characterization by how they're written and how the vocals go. Um, and I think that the people that we saw which are not the original cast, but the touring cast that we saw, incredible, like, as far as, like, and again, I'll talk about this more in aesthetics. But I bought immediately that like, wow, you know, look, the notes that dude is hitting. Like, I don't know if I could hit some of those notes falsetto, but like he was nailing it. And then as soon as Haiti started singing and I was like, whoa, that bass. But it really does help kind of sell you the characters and like who they are and, and what kind of ideals they hold. Um, so I just thought that was a really cool thing. Um, Eurydice is very angsty, um, which I don't love, um, but I guess I accept it enough because at least she's consistent 
throughout the show, but I still don't love it because a lot of the biggest problems, and again, this is kind of a piggyback on a a lot of the plot notes that we talked about, but a lot of the problems that I think come in the story or come for Eurydice are self-inflicted. Sorry, I hate to say it that way, but because of that, she was very difficult for me to like a lot. Um, And while I'm not saying Orpheus did everything right by any means, I at least liked him more. Like, I I don't know. Um, But just something about how negative Eurydice tends to be or impatient um, or almost like I, I guess she she holds a level of pride that's not appealing, I guess, to me. Um, and so she was just one of the more difficult main characters for me to like. I maybe I, I might want to bring my next point open for discussion here. How do we feel? How do you feel? Because I'll talk about how I feel. Um, how do you feel about the fact that they have sort of, maybe not completely all the way to, but they have sort of given us a version of Persephone and she tin- she looks, she sounds and appears to enjoy imbibing a lot. And I don't, I didn't know quite how I felt about it. I guess you could explain it like she's married to Hades, number one. Number two, she spends half her year in Hades Town, which, you know, is obviously not ideal living conditions. And this past time when she went above Hades Town, he snatched her back real fast. So it's like, you know, seasons are off and like whatever so I guess you could explain it like she's probably just fed up and like you mentioned before they've sort of fallen out of love with each other but I don't know how I felt about the fact that like Persephone seems to be kind of a drunk yeah I I don't know how do you feel about that yes I I am glad you actually mentioned that because I didn't have any notes on her as a character um specifically um so uh, that's an interesting question because I do think that it fits. It fits the 1930s depression era speakeasy bootlegging kind of vibe. And so it's almost like, well, did you just pick somebody and you needed somebody to be a bootlegger? Like, why why isn't Hades the bootlegger? He's wearing the pinstripe suit and looks like a mobster. Like, it could have been him. But I also kind of feel like, are they... I'm wondering if they are kind of playing like she goes to the bottle because she can't go to her husband. Like she, and I I don't mean that like provocatively, but like, do you, maybe that's her way of coping with the fact that her husband. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, it's, it's evident that there's a lot of emotional distance between them. Right. So it's like, does she find her comfort in sort of masking all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I got. That's kind of the impression that I got <laughs> is that she's just like, I think it's in the second act. There's a song where she comes out and sings like solo by herself. Our Lady of the Underground. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the impression in that song where she's like, yeah, she runs the, the bootleggers and speakeasy because it's the only purpose she has when she's in the underworld. Um, so, I don't know, because it's like, 
I almost feel like it's the opposite of the character of somebody that would be the one that brings Summer. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, it's because, like, in all iterations that I've ever read growing up of Persephone, she is so opposite to she's Hades. She's the sun. Yeah, she is the sun to his darkness. She's kind of the warmth to his coldness. Like, And so to see her per- portrayed as sort of a you know, at the very least, you know, someone who enjoys an adult beverage quite often, you know, maybe not all the way to drunkard, but tipsy. It just felt weird to me. Like, it it didn't quite feel like who I would think of when I think of Persephone, you know? But I also think it does kind of fit in this kind of darker toned story that, yeah, she brings the summer when she's above ground, but then when she goes down below, the only thing she has is, like, her pub, yeah. you know? And so it, it kind of makes sense to me that it's like, okay, she comes up to the summer, she's free, like, summer comes, she gets to, you know, see the sun and be in the warmth and, you know, everything's great. And that's who she really is. That's, you know, her truest form, if you will. And I mean, even in the in the show, she's wearing like a green dress. She has flowers. She's got a basket on her arm. Like she, it's all just visually very bright and sunny and summery. And then when you see her in the underworld, she's wearing all black. She's in the dark. So it's almost like if you kept. It's almost like if you kept a butterfly in a dark room, what would mm-hmm. that butterfly look like after six months? You know. Right. So I got the impression more of like this is how beaten down she is, but. I also think that that's not completely, I guess, it's not completely the message you want in your story. Yeah. Because if she really loves Hades, then wouldn't she want to be with him for six months? Right. Wouldn't that have a different kind? Which they've fallen out of love. Like, I, I get that plot line. Yeah. But I feel like... But generally. I would, yeah, I would feel like in general, she wouldn't have to change completely who she is in the underground unless this is just like after the long horrible road that they've gone on to get this far so i didn't really have a problem with it when i was watching it i kind of saw it as more like yeah there's this woman who like kind of and it's i think it's a little stereotypical but like yeah this is the woman whose husband doesn't love her and she doesn't love him and they don't really want to be together and she's stuck with him for six months out of the year in prison so she's gonna drink to get through it so i didn't really have a problem with it But it didn't really, I think I would agree if your kind of culmination of Persephone's character is that we don't really know much about her other than that she's like, is she just drunk all the time? Is that her character trait? Yeah, exactly. So then, yeah, I would agree that that's a little bit problematic because we don't see her before Mm -hmm. and we don't see her after. Yeah, and there are no other significant moments, really, except for at the very end when she and Hades sort of have kind of like a reconciliation, and you can see them sort of like, they dance together or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, other than that, it's like, that's like the only moment that you see anything significant from Persephone that's not, I'm just going to dance and drink. Yeah. You know, and have a good time because I got to 
keep my mind busy or whatever the case may be. So anyway, so that was kind of just like my one like note that I was like, I don't, I just don't love it. Like, I just don't like that much. I, I don't know. It just feels like a very flat or shallow choice for yeah, her. It does. So, and I, and I, again, I do not want to in any way make it seem like I didn't enjoy the actress's performance because she does, I think you mentioned this when we were there that like she gives kind of like a Tina Turner vibe. And I really liked that. Like I thought it was very entertaining and she was incredibly talented and like the dance style that, that they choose for Persephone is very indicative to like the time that this is supposed to be set Mm -hmm. in. So like, she pulls it off so well. It was just the character choice, like the way that she was written that I kind of was just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. So anyway, all of that to say two out of three points for characters for me. Alrighty. I actually gave this one and a half points out of three for characters. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said, actually. Um, I think that overall the, the characters of Persady. Wow. Persades, that's their ship name. Yeah, that's their (laughs) ship name. Persades are really... (laughs) Wow. Man, I bet that is a thing. Probably. Persades. Well, I think Persephone Persephone. doesn't sound as good. Persades is a little more... Yeah, yeah, I like that one. That's the ship name. Man, the (laughs) characters of Persephone and Hades and their relationships and their dynamic between each other... I think are actually really interesting. I think, kind of like we just talked about, you you have Persephone and Hades have fallen out of love with each other. And, you know, as Orpheus says, the gods have forgotten their love. And we're from... So we're watching how the effects of these two gods that have forgotten their love has these global consequences. And we have this kind of... They have these clearly mythical personalities, and I don't mean that as like a pun, but in the world of Hadestown, they even clearly have these mythical consequences to their actions and their relationship with each other. And Hades in Hadestown is like this business mogul by the time we see him, and he kind of reminds me of Pulitzer from Newsies. <laughs> and he kind of... Well, especially with the Newsies subplot exactly. that they throw in. It's like too much Newsies. <laughs> in this. He's going to start singing the bottom line. <laughs> I, honestly, I was waiting. That's kind of what the Build the Wall song is. I guess I mean, <laughs> it's very reminiscent of Newsies. Um, so, but you kind of have these very opposites attract kind of characters. And I think it's a very relatable plot which I know this isn't the plot topic, but I think as characters, this makes them very interesting because I think that any people that love each other, whether it's romantic or platonic or familial, like anybody that you love in your life, you have moments where you're like, I just don't really like you. Like, I don't really like you. And I don't want to be around you. Like I- I'm done. Like I'm, I'm had too much of you. Like, and, and I don't know if I'm going to, if that's going to really change. I think every relationship you have those feelings, those emotions are just, that's part of being human. And I think that that's but very, they are gods. Yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> but we can relate to them because we're human yeah. and they may be gods, but you know, let's face it. They're, they're not very godlike. Um, so I think that that, the, you know, summer versus winter, that whole dynamic makes them very interesting characters. And we don't know, I, I wouldn't say that they have a significant amount of depth, but they're at least characters that we can, we can kind of attach to, like find attributes 
that we understand and relate to and connect with them and follow them through the plot. And I think that's important in this story overall. It's a, It has to be a pretty character-driven story. It's very much a drama. It's an epic. It's a, you know, a myth. And so there's not a lot of, like, mythical battles happening in this story. It's a very drama-driven, character-driven story. So I think Hades and Persephone are... It's a very interesting story. And I think that the concept of Orpheus bringing spring again makes for an interesting plot and the characters really drive that forward. My problem with this, I, I agree with a lot of what you said with Hades about Hades. Um, the fates I think are a great characters to have because again, we're bringing the world of mythology into like physical form in front of you while you're watching this play. And I think the fates are very interesting characters because they're sort of, on this line of like, are these real or are they human portrayals of a metaphor? Because if you watch them through the play, they're the ones like blowing Eurydice's candle out or they're the ones that are like taking her, like her bag away from her or they're, you know, not that they do this on the stage, but they're, they're the ones that are like making sure a door closes at the wrong moment or making sure, you know, this, you know, they're always antagonistic on the stage and yet they're moving the story forward and it's just very very interesting and i my question is are the fates the real villains here like are they really the the ones that are they're always against all the characters in the story they're the ones whispering in hades ear that you can't let orpheus go like imagine what would happen if you let them go again newsies like yeah. The so they're the ones whispering in Hades' ear. They're the one making Eurydice, you know, follow Hades to the underworld. Like I'm sorry to Hades Town because there is no underworld. We don't know what that is. So I think that it's very they're very very interesting characters, and I think it's very applicable in theater to have these characters that require a little bit of suspension of disbelief. I think all of theater requires some suspension of disbelief, but especially when you have three women that are the fates and they're somehow manipulating their environment to cause like unfortunate things to happen. I think that that just makes for a really interesting story. And I think that we don't know anything about them, but we don't have to because are they, are they real or are they just a metaphor? We don't really know. So I think that those char- those characters are very interesting. They help move the story along. They really round out the world. Um, I would say that like the fates almost serve a purpose in the storytelling similar but different to how Hermes does. Yes. Where they don't exactly narrate, um, but they have a level of control over the story that a lot of other characters don't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, my biggest problem with this play and why I didn't give it full points, um, and again, the acting's good, the casting's good, the vocal ability is phenomenal in this cast, which we'll talk about in the next category, but Orpheus and Eurydice just are not very interesting. They're just not interesting characters. They're very flat and bland, and I mean... All the Hades Town stands can just come at me, and that's fine because I stand by it. They're just very 
boring characters. We know nothing about them at the beginning of the play, except we know Eurydice is hungry and she doesn't like it. Like, who wouldn't? I'm sorry. Like, that's not a character quality that you are starving and you're hungry and you're upset that you're... Like, who wouldn't be? That's that's a basic human need, like, to not die. So, <laughs> that's not a character quality. And then I just think it's very stereotypical that she's like... Orpheus, like, literally falls in love with somebody he just saw. He hasn't even met her, but now he's immediately in love with this woman. Like, okay, but he's supposed to be a hopeless romantic. Like, no, that's not, like, are we trying to tell a story about humans or are we trying to tell a story about concepts? Because these are supposed to be human characters that we care about and follow, not this, like, ethereal idea of, like, a hopeless romantic. Like, Orpheus is not seven on the playground falling, you know, having a playground crush on somebody. He's a grown man who has this like artistic dream that he's going to write a song that will bring back spring and save the world. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I love you and I'm going to marry you. Like, what? why? Like, at least round it out into the rest of his character that like he you know, has a reason for loving her. We never know why Orpheus and Eurydice love each other. Yeah. We're never given a reason why they love each other at all. There's no basis of their love, except Eurydice says, at one point, I think she says that she just really wants security and maybe Orpheus can give her that. He never promises her that. He never tells her, hey, you know what? You're hungry and desperate and and destitute and I really want to take care of you. Like, I think you're, I know something about you and I think you're a good person because of these attributes about you that I now know. Like, that never happens. Well, I think the fact that, like, she does crave stability almost more than I think she cares about Orpheus. Exactly. That's the reason I think that she accepts Hades' offer and uses the ticket after he sings Hey Little Songbird to her. Yeah. Because he basically says, I have everything you could ever want and you would never want for any... Like, he basically he basically promises her all the things that she wants from Orpheus. Right. Which is not Orpheus. She doesn't want Orpheus. She wants what he... what she, The possibility of, like, just having a secure life with somebody. Yeah. And that's why I think she ends up taking Hades' offer. It's right. not because she cares about Hades either. It's because she goes, oh, cool. And then she's like, well, I need to eat. So that's why she goes. Right. And that's why the fates say, hey, don't be so hard on her. You'd probably do the same thing too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I I would agree with that. But then it's like, so why do we care that Orpheus is going to risk his life to go save her? Like, we don't even know why he likes her. And Hermes even says to Orpheus, like... Yeah, well, you know what? You you played around and you t- focused too much on your, you know, your little love song you've been writing and she gone. And if you're, you know, it doesn't even matter. You can go after her, but really why even do that? Because somebody else is going to come along and you're going to fall in love with her. Like make, I mean, uh, but we didn't even really have that like, uh, like fully baked into Orpheus as a character that like, oh, he's just this serial like romantic he just likes the idea of love or he you know and even if we did even if we had all of that let's say okay let's say they really committed and made Orpheus this like serial dater who just like falls in love with the next person but then nobody that 
really has that conviction would really ever put their money where their mouth is and go to the underworld for it. So now we have this foolish, if if we committed to this, like, oh, but he just falls in love with the first person he meets, like, all the time. Like, he's just a foolish boy who would never succeed anyways. So if that was the story we were going with, then why don't we just go with that story? Because he's going to fail at the end anyways, because it's a tragedy. Like, why don't we just keep him this foolish boy that, you know, made a stupid decision and now we have a cautionary tale. But we don't. We're trying, we're told that no, what Orpheus and Eurydice have is real love, but we have no basis for that. Right. And so because we haven't committed to make Orpheus this foolish, lovesick boy and we haven't committed, we haven't bought any foundation to say, no, this is real love. And this is what real love looks like. And that's why Orpheus understands how he can bring back spring and make the gods remember their love is because he has real love. We're never given that. So it's this weird like line in between these two possibilities that makes both of these, and it's there's no commitment to either end, which makes these characters just bland. They're so bland and boring that I rem- I was watching the play and I was enjoying the play. Don't get me wrong. I was enjoying it. But we got to like kind of towards the, th- the three quarters of the way through and I kind of realized like, you know, if Orpheus and Eurydice don't make it, I don't really care. Like, that's a problem. Yeah. These are two of your four main characters. Yeah. Like, it's a problem if like you get three quarters of the way through a show and you're like, you know, if they don't make it, that's fine. I guess I'll just see what happens. Yeah. 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 Like you're not rooting for anything. Right. Because neither of them have enough depth to have conviction that compels your audience into that. I think that Hades and um, Persephone have more connection with the audience. I think they're, they're the way that they're developed and built and the way they're introduced to you, I think that there's way more depth that draws your audience into that plot. And it's a much more interesting plot for one, but I think it's because those characters are more interesting. I know this is kind of blurring the lines between plot and characters, but um, I think because the two concepts of these overarching plots require good characters, that's why I kind of attributed to the character aspect of this because I just think Orpheus and Eurydice are boring. I think, and I think Eurydice is past boring and all the way to just stereotypical. She's this like angsty teenage girl. She has, she has motivation, but it's all self-serving. Right. Yeah. So like, why do we want her with Orpheus anyways? Even if Orpheus truly loved her and was like, I, I love you and I want to marry you. And you know, that, then why do we want yeah, him like to end up with her? Any any romance that the only basis that your audience has is that you are attracted to each other, that's not enough. Like, it's just not enough, especially with something as high stakes as this. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that just overall, like, Eurydice is so jaded right out of the gate, and we're told that because she's, like, you know, destitute. And then she changes in within the span of one song, she falls in love with Orpheus, or we're told she falls in love with Orpheus. We don't really see anything that tells us that she's really in love with Orpheus. And then she leaves because she's starving. And then Orpheus, who now has said he loves her and he's going to marry her, doesn't even pay her any attention whatsoever. He's completely ignoring her. She's literally talking to him and he's just won't even turn around because he's so obsessed with his, his work 
But then immediately when she's gone, he turns around to go rescue her. Like, which is it, dude? Like, is it your work that's more important? Is it her? Because if it was her, if you were like two seconds earlier, you would have, there wouldn't be a play because you would have have not needed to go rescue her. And so it's just this, like, all of this happens within the first, like, introduction of the plot. So that's like our introduction to the conflict. And we've learned nothing about these characters in the process. And I think that that's, that's, hard to then want him to go save Eurydice and I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna probably get a lot of hate for it but that's why like the song Wait For Me which is probably the biggest song in this musical when I was watching I was like I don't really feel that this song is really that compelling because we just watched these people pendulum back and forth between these emotions and we've learned nothing about them but he's gonna go rescue her why why you just met her and you know nothing about her and you were really concerned about your music to the point where she got taken away by Hades while your back was turned. Like why, why, why should she wait for you? Like, why are you going to go rescue her? I don't, you didn't tell me why I should care. Like, and so I, I thought it was kind of disappointing because I'd heard how great that song was. And I know it's the biggest song of the, of the musical or, or probably is most successful or most well-known. And I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, they're like singing, wait for me, I'm coming. And I'm just like, why? Why are you coming? I mean, I, I don't get it. Like, okay, well, I guess you'll go. Uh, I mean, it's not an adventure. It's not like it's some exciting thing. It's not like you think that you doing this is going to help you finish your song and bring back spring. Like, why? Yeah. And, and I just think that's a problem. Like, if we had just known more about these people mm-hmm. and known more about their relationship with each other... It would have so much more impact. Yeah. What's funny is that like, I think Wait For Me is a beautiful song and it gets stuck in my head a lot. But I do agree that like in regards to does it make sense from a character standpoint, it doesn't. I just think the song is beautiful. It is. It's a great song. And that's why like we'll get into aesthetics and I will have almost nothing negative to say because I think this is such a great packaging yeah of a story and they worked so hard on it but then you're when you really that was the thing when i like sat down to like prep for this podcast i'm like really digging into these characters like thinking through these characters and i'm like you know orpheus and eurydice carry this entire show and i don't know anything about them and i don't really even like them like i don't hate them there's not they don't do anything hateable but why am i rooting for them and so that's why i kind of was a little critical of that because I think that it's just, they're just not interesting. Hermes, we know nothing. Zero. We know zero of Hermes' backstory. Except he has a couple throwaway lines, like when he says that Orpheus's mother was a good friend of his, who was a muse. Like, we know a few of these little throwaway lines, which you can't catch watching the first time through. Well, you maybe you could. But we know more about Hermes in this play than we know about Orpheus and Eurydice. And I just think that's a problem. And Hermes isn't even a focus. He's not. Yeah. He's a narrator. It's not his story. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I gave it one and a half points out of three. Okay. All right. So our next category is aesthetics. And out of two points, I gave this a full two points. This is where I think this musical shines. Truly. Um, I have one small critique that I'll say at the end, but it was not enough for me to take any points off. Um, first of all, the music is great. And I know you mentioned earlier that like, there's only a few songs that really stand out and are like memorable. And I don't disagree. However, I think that the 
soundtrack is so cohesive that it really helps kind of carry the like same momentum um, in regards to like the mood. Like the mood is just so cohesive and it does shift a little bit. So like we have jazz, a big jazz influence through this soundtrack. But then there's also a lot of like moments of like acoustic kind of folk feel in a lot of the songs, like all of the, um, hang on, I, what's the name of them? The epics that Orpheus sings, you know, and they like the song he's working on very sort of like folksy kind of feel to those and then when we're down in Hades town a lot of the um ensemble songs have a sort of like industrial not quite rock but like they're a little heavier like these songs um so but they all work together and they all fit whatever you're looking at aesthetically and I just thought that uh they the sound just like the sound of the music just ties in to all the visual aspects that are on stage and I think that's really really nice um they also play with a lot of like lighting effects I feel like that's probably as far as the set goes the set is very stationary for the most part there are some parts that move and I'll talk about that in a minute but they play the most with lighting, I think, than any other element. And I think they do it really, really well. They, The lighting and the color of lighting that they choose is always so perfect. They do a lot of like shadow effects, fog effects, which kind of give you these optical illusions. Um, they can hide certain characters and reveal them at will. Um, lights shine from behind the set pieces which can kind of like blind you as an audience member for a moment but I I think it, it overall kind of helps deliver whatever the the like visual is supposed to be at that moment you know I feel like the few times where they do kind of shine the light into the audience and you kind of like you know you you wince away from it it almost helps deliver this feeling of like I shouldn't be enjoying what's on the stage right now so even in just those moments I feel like it, it was purposeful it felt like everything was just purposeful the the swinging lanterns that are really famous in wait for me beautiful and like just the way they just visually add so much depth and they swing far. They swing up over the heads of those first few rows of the audience. Mm -hmm. I was surprised. Um, it felt kind of nostalgic uh, for those of you who are, you know, Broadway fans. It felt kind of nostalgic to me of the beginning of the Phantom of the Opera with the big famous scene where the chandelier truly falls and like swings over the audience at the very beginning of the show. It kind of felt like almost like... Uh, in a weird way, like kind of an homage to that. Um, I don't know if that was purposeful, but it's like what my brain thought of when I was watching that happen. Um, the I appreciate all the moments of motion and change that they do because the set is very stationary. Um, that's, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my critique now of the aesthetics, even though it's not enough to take any points off. Um, I like set changes. I've always been the kind of theater watcher that I enjoy set changes and furniture coming in and off and stagehands and all black moving things around. Like, I've always enjoyed that kind of thing. I sometimes get a little bored when 
you have a set that doesn't really move or change and it's just kind of stagnant and I was worried when we got about halfway through act one and like nothing had changed on stage I was worried that I was going to end up really dissatisfied with the set by the end of the show thankfully there are some specific moments in the show where the set pieces expand and what I mean is they like sort of move apart from each other they widen a little bit um, and they let in elements from behind them so happy about that they also have a turntable in the floor which is very a la Hamilton and now that I know so Hamilton ended up on um off Broadway in 2015 right I believe and, so and yeah. Hades Town in 2016 makes me wonder were they directly inspired by Hamilton well I think Hamilton was inspired by Les Mis you're right. There is a, a turntable in Les Mis. I forgot about that. So I, I've never seen Les Mis on, on stage. But. I have. And I forgot about that. But I think you're right. I think there is a Because I do remember Les Manuel Miranda saying, because Hamilton has a dual turntable. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Les Manuel Miranda saying with Hamilton, he was like, well, Les Mis has one. I want two. Mm-hmm. And so I do remember. Hadestown had two. You, I could tell. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe it was just the one. I think they just had the one. Yeah, just the one band that moved. But um, yeah, that... I don't think the middle turned. Okay. Did yeah. it? No. I don't remember if it did. I don't remember. I don't believe so. Okay. Because I remember when, uh, at one point when Orpheus, I almost forgot his name. <laughs> when Orpheus is singing, that's how forgettable he is. When Orpheus was singing his song to Hades and Persephone, the the ensemble is turning around him on the table and i yeah. think he's standing stationary in the middle okay yeah so i was surprised to see that start because i guess in my brain i was just thinking like that's a hamilton thing um i for i feel silly for calling myself a lay Miz fan and not remembering that that's an element but um i either way i appreciated it because it added some more depth and movement to the set that was not previously there um and so by the end of it i was actually fine i was satisfied with the set and what i thought was going to be disappointing did not turn out to be um so i guess it's not really a critique i just thought it was going to be uh sort of near the beginning um props to the ensemble because the harmonies are incredible but Ensemble aside, I know you talked about them in characters, but the fates and their vocal arrangements were incredible. I lost count how many times their harmonies just gave me goosebumps. They have all these crazy like minor chords that they hit so perfectly and they like there's a lot of like slidey jazz notes that they just oh, they hit it so good and like just thinking about it is making me like tingle (laughs) but the just musically the vocal ability of the entire cast and ensemble was one of the better that I think I've seen in a while as far as stage production goes um I hate to say this and but we talked about the slight spoilers for our Dear Evan Hansen episode that we had last season but the vocal ability compared to dear evan hansen oh there's no comparison dear evan hansen should be embarrassed they should I'm, because it was just impeccable like it was i just oh i i don't want to repeat myself over and over but it was just so good i just i can't say enough about 
just the vocal ability and talent and everybody was blended so perfectly and while it did get chaotic at times as far as the ability goes everybody was just blending in like a way that's so satisfying and I'm so sick of seeing productions where your ensemble is louder than your main singer um and that was just not the case everything was just so nicely balanced um I also think that uh there are some really small moments but I think they add a little bit of level to like just thoughtfulness in regards to just like how things are presented um in act one when you kind of learn the fact that like Persephone's appearance above ground um signifies a season change and you can see that because everybody on stage who's wearing a sweater or jacket takes it off and then and the lighting also changes it Mm -hmm. becomes summery and like kind of more yellowy and warm um and then when persephone is taken back to hades town prematurely all of those sweaters and coats go back on the lights turn more blue gray it's just and and if you're not like watching for it you could probably miss it because it's just like small things like that there was just it was very evident how much thought went into set design and just kind of stage managing. Um, so just the, the team that worked on the aesthetics, I really want to give them proper credit because there's just so much tiny attention to detail that's given um, to just make sure that everything that you're seeing and hearing matches at any given moment. Um, And even if it's not the character that you're focused on in that scene, all other characters or orchestra even or ensemble that's on the stage, it's all matching. Everything matches at all times. And I just really, really appreciated that. So that's why I gave this full two points for aesthetics. I also gave this two full points for aesthetics. I agree with pretty much everything you've said. Um, The... I love that the one set that's there looks like a speakeasy and they have at the, in the first act at the beginning when they have like a table and chairs and stuff set up in the middle, like it's a, you know, a pub or tavern or speakeasy kind of feel. And then yet the portions of the stage that remain in place. So like the table and the stage do come off. So I technically there's a little bit of a set change, Um, but the backdrop all stays the same. And those are kind of physical, hard set pieces when they expand if you will to bring in Hades Town um, or to to portray Hades Town they still feel like they visually fit yeah um i i really like that at the beginning of the show the entire cast is on stage like the whole cast is on stage and they remain on stage for the first several numbers i like that Hades and Persephone are kind of sitting up in the little balcony area that then becomes Hades office um in Hades Town, I like that they're there and they're just stationary um, up there for the introduction, if you will, of the show. Um, I think that that's just a great like visual touch. It feels like I think visually, overall, you could summarize it by saying that this show feels like theater, and mm, in a yeah. way that that sounds nonsensical. I think if if you are a theater goer you kind of know what i'm what i'm getting at is that it it feels like this is what it's supposed to look like and feel like 
when you go to a theater. That's a really good point. And it, it does feel like a silly thing to say, but it's almost like if you ever did theater or musical theater growing up, it's like, you know how like there's like the jokes where it's like a theater kid can spot a theater kid. It's almost kind of like that. It's like you get there and you're like, this is how it should be. Like, this is how it should feel to sit here. Right. It all feels, everything is is practical. There aren't any screens used, which I love. I, I've... In a lot of modern musicals, screens and technological sets have really become prominent. And I do believe there's a time and a place for that. But it's just so intimate feeling when you walk into a show and you sit down and the stage is all really there. And you sit down and you feel like it's drawing you into the space. Like you're not just sitting in an audience watching a movie screen. You're pulled into the show as a whole and I think they further do this by immediately straight out of the bat Hermes walks onto the stage and he's breaking the fourth wall he's talking to the audience like you're part of the show now like hey you're here we have some gods in the audience here like he's they immediately just pull you in and it it really to me just felt like oh my gosh this is like what theater is supposed to be like this is theater like this is really what a show a theater show is supposed to be rather than a stage production you know so I really like that and that's just kind of how the visuals felt on the whole show I love that they used um a lot of light you know the really use of light like kind of falling on these or following these themes of like light and darkness. A lot of this, the stuff you mentioned, I won't, I won't go over again, but I particularly liked how the lights changed for the train. When mm, the train came, it yeah. kind of blinded you for a minute. Right. Um, I like that when Orpheus is singing about summer, the lights f- like change immediately kind of incrementally. Um, when Hades mentioned something in Hades town about like, look, I built this new power grid while you were away and look how bright it is. Like lights shine on him kind of incrementally brightening him when you're kind of seeing him talk about like the power that he now has, mm-hmm. uh, both both literally and figuratively. Um, Orpheus, when he's walking, you know, taking the long walk out of, I, I just think that entire structure visually is absolutely beautiful that when they're leaving Hades when they're town? leaving Hades town yeah. and Eurydice is walking behind him and they start on the turntable and they're walking in place but because the turntable is moving you have that constant feel of movement yeah. like you're watching a camera pan with them and all the fog comes out everything is completely dark and then the fates come out with these lanterns and the use of that like Orpheus never becomes dark he remains in light like just the technical aspect of this is just mind-blowing when you think about it like and then the way Eurydice disappears into the fog and she's no longer lit but we know she's still over there somewhere like if you're thinking about it and the fates come out with these lanterns and it just you the whole concept of that is that Orpheus is having these doubts while he's walking you know because he can't look behind her or she's gone forever Mm -hmm. and just you don't just hear all of that with the vocals but you now feel it because you're pulled into that that world with them and then Eurydice reappears and then she disappears and things can move in and out of the fog and the lanterns kind of flicker and disappear and it's just it's extremely beautiful but yet it's also like if you're familiar with theater like I can't imagine how incredibly technical that is they have to hit their marks 
perfectly every time or the magic is kind of right. ruined. Um, so there's so much of that that's just in the lighting and uh, the elements of kind of use of light and darkness that just really are done so, so well. One thing I like about this show as well, you kind of mentioned earlier about the orchestra being sort of like members of the cast, if mm-hmm. you will. I completely agree with that. And then we also have moments that I I'm decided to mention here in aesthetics where the cast becomes members of the orchestra. Yeah. In a way, the fates, one of the fates plays an accordion. And while they're singing, Orpheus plays his quote unquote liar is an electric guitar. He plays it on stage while he's singing. So you don't just have these actors that are phenomenally talented and they have incredible vocals. I won't rehash all of that because I, I agree. The vocals are just fantastic. But now they have to play their own instruments and sing and move on cue and, you know, get their lines right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just impressively talented. I can't imagine how many hours goes into rehearsals for things like that. I'm sure you have to drill that stuff until it's muscle memory, simply because there's so many moving parts. If you didn't have it as muscle memory, it would just be difficult to try to balance all of that. Yeah. One note with the vocals I did want to point out is the, when Orpheus sees Eurydice for the first time and he's singing to her, he kind of like makes this little flower and he's singing to her and the um the ensemble they're all sitting in chairs behind him and they just sing with him for just a few words it's just incredibly beautiful Mm -hmm. it's like if you know orpheus was the son of the muse son of a muse it's like other muses are singing with him it's just it's just beautiful it sounds beautiful and it just visually looks you know very soft and and it's just it was really, really good. I was very impressed. I was not expecting that at all. Um, the costumes are really good. Uh, I think overall, nothing is really like stands out, except that I noticed that, especially in the first act until we get into Hadestown, um, the entire ensemble, they're doing all of this choreography and dancing and movement in jeans. Yeah. They're all wearing jeans. Yeah. Like, they're not wearing, like dance pants like yoga pants yeah or, I mean, they're wearing like there's no stretch or breathability it looks like that. old navy rock star jeans yeah. like <laughs> i mean i <laughs> i have a couple pairs of those yeah. jeans, so I'm but you're sure. not dancing choreography in a broadway show in those exactly yeah they got a little stretch but i mean that's pretty impressive yeah um the costumes overall are just done really, really well. Orpheus, um, not Orpheus, um, Hermes' costume is is great. I love that he's wearing that silver suit mm-hmm. that kind of sets him apart as the narrator. I like, I do, even though I do think it's a little stereotypical, I like Hades' dark pinstripe suit. And then in the second act, he switches to kind of a white uh, button, button down with a black vest over it. Um, little, little details. I like that the tips of Hades' shoes are shiny. Um, so even those like small aspects of light and dark when I like that, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but it made me think about a note that I forgot to mention, which is that, um, I like that there's a difference in what color Persephone is wearing, depending on if she's above ground or underground. Um, and I love that, like when she's above ground and wearing her green dress, she also has flowers in her hair to signify that she brings spring. Yeah. Summer. Summer. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that the lighting in some spots, and this is not a negative, this is just kind of a caution if you're going to see this show. There are some spots, like you mentioned, where the light shines out into the audience, which if you're just naturally like sensitive to light, or if you have 
you know, medical conditions with flashing lights and stuff. It's unfortunate that this show may not be the show for you because there were moments where I'm not, I'm neither of those things. And there were moments where I was like, oh my gosh, that kind of hurts my eyes. Can you stop shining your headlamps into my eyeballs? Um, you know, the, the workers in the underground have uh, minor helmets. And so they like flash those out into the audience and things like that. Um, a couple other like negatives that I had, um, <laughs> which I-, I did not take points because I gave two out of two. Um, the part... First, I'll just go ahead and say there isn't really a lot of dancing in this show. And I don't think that's a problem. It's just if you're a Broadway fan and you're like, I want the big tap dance number. This does not have that in it. I want the big synchronized group number. Right. Yeah. This does not have that, um, which is not a negative. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, But a lot of it is choreography, uh, very modern choreography, if you will. And... One part I thought was almost, I I literally had to stop myself from laughing in the show. And it was not an appropriate time. I was not supposed to laugh. Was when Hades finds Orpheus in the underworld. Excuse me, in Hades town. And he's like, this is what happens to trespassers. The workers or the ensemble then just kind of pull them around a little bit. Like they, they very over like dramatically like slow motion just kind of like grab his arm and then like let go of his arm yeah and then somebody else like it like, didn't feel like an authentic struggle no it's like could you like do some stage choreo or you just like punch him or something <laughs> yeah. like what happens to trespassers is hit you him, get hit him you get gently very gently pulled around like yeah this is this is kind of kills the mood here, yeah. guys. Like he could have just take him off stage or something, and then like you know rough him up off stage. It doesn't have to be anything big, but so that it was so comical looking that it almost made me laugh. Um, and then another part is that almost made me laugh, and it really shouldn't have, but it did. Was the like crux of the the play where Orpheus is singing his song to the gods, and they're like remembering their love. It's like this is it. This is it. Like he's the, fixing the, stuff. The world is being saved in yeah. front of us. And it's this really impressive moment where Orpheus is in the middle and the workers are like on the turntable moving around him and they are like singing. There's like this it's not it's not cacophony. It but they're all singing kind of on top of each other and it's like building and Orpheus is singing in this falsetto, and the song that he sings is just a bunch of la-las, which is fine. That's not, like, I, I did not have a problem with that. But in this, like, bombastic number, Orpheus is singing the la-la-la part of his song sounded like Scuttle from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's singing this high... (laughs) Yeah, it did. That's exactly what it sounded like. And I almost started laughing again in in the show. Yes, yes. It's like scuttle. Oh, no. He's like... Because his voice is like building. I know. I was like, did did nobody tell them? Like, sounds a little bit like scuttle from The Little Mermaid. 
But I don't think that was intentional. Maybe it was just, maybe it was just one show. Maybe. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just that one show we saw. But it was just like, <laughs> it was just a little bit, it, it, it pulled me out of the <laughs> yeah. moment, if yeah. you will. Broke the immersion. But um, in that same part, I really, really liked the part. And I forgot to mention this when I was mentioning about the turntable. I really liked the number where... Hey, uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, I think they're in the middle of the turntable and Hades is walking on the turntable t- facing the audience and Persephone is walking on the turntable away from the audience. And so this is like juxtaposition of the two of them. Uh, just like, I-, I just thought that was visually just very stunning. Yeah. Um, because this, this confrontational moment where I think Hades is basically saying like, you Sorry, know, bros, you're stuck down here. Yeah. 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 Um, so is overall, I mean, just visually this, this show is just so good. And I was very, very pleased, um, because in modern theater shows and, and Tori and I, I wouldn't say Tori and I are like, we're so well-versed in theater. Like we see what we can when we can and you know, we, we appreciate it and enjoy it. But a lot of the newer shows that have come out, they're just very, it almost feels very sterile on stage. It feels like... There's a screen that kind of changes when the set changes. And then there's a couple props here and there. And it visually, it feels like this is just a stage production. And we just don't have the budget to like invest in real physical environments for our actors to be in. And this is not one of those shows. It really feels like you've gone back in time to when the- everything on the, the on the stage was either... Uh, physically built or it was a practical effect with lighting and movement and it's just so refreshing to see and I think that's what really made me enjoy this show was just how visually impressive it was it, it kind of reminded me of like the Lion King like yeah. when you watch the Lion King which go listen to season one um, the just everything is really really there yeah. and just such a good use of practical physical like visuals for a theater show so Mm -hmm. two out of two for me okay uh fourth category is personal taste and preference um out of two points i gave this one um i went in with no knowledge or expectation and i left satisfied um i enjoyed myself um i enjoyed myself enough to listen to the music afterward um i think that this was due to a few different things i think Obviously, the the love of the aesthetic and the my personal love for jazz um, and like jazz influenced music um, had a part of that. Uh, I think mixing that with um, like m- Greek mythology just felt like something a bit new um, and interesting, um, and it was just really enjoyable for me. I don't have a ton to like say about personal taste. Um, it's just it has a lot of the elements of things that I enjoy very much um i just i think i would enjoy it more if the delivery of the story had been cleaner stronger and had more of like an emotional grab for me um since those things were missing i didn't want to give it full points but all of the things i liked about it i liked a lot um and since i I'm listening to the music now just out for fun i i don't want to say that i I don't want to make it sound like I didn't enjoy it. So I figured I'd just split the difference there and just go half points and do one out of two for personal taste. 
Yeah. I also gave it one out of two. Um, it just, to me, it was just so refreshing. Just the visuals, the vocal talent, the the casting was great. The I mean, just, it felt like a great, just refreshing show. It felt like, a, it felt new and fresh, but it also felt timeless as well. And it was just great to, I just, I did enjoy it very much. Um, it's kind of a new story or retelling rather than like a rinse and repeat line for line ad- adaptation. Um, I feel like there's a lot of shows now that kind of take whatever video, film, movie, musical is popular or has a good following. And then they just put that line for line on the stage and maybe throw in a few extra songs in there. And this is like, no, this is a fresh new story that hasn't been told in any other medium before. And um, with songs that you haven't heard before. Again, I did kind of knock a bit of the the plot and the characters, but I really would rewatch this musical just for the visuals. Yeah. Just because it was just so pleasing to just watch and listen to. I I, I agree with what you said, like with the the songs, Mm -hmm. like how... Yeah, there may not be a lot that are really memorable, but it flows so seamlessly and it flows from one song to the next just really, really well. There's not these weird, like, drastic shifts in tone. Um, So I I really would just watch it again just because it was just pleasant. It was pleasant to listen to. It was pleasant to watch. Um, You know, the story may have felt a little weak at points, but it was just really, really good. Um... In the digital age, it's so rare to see live entertainment stay 100% practical. And I just, I love to see something that literally everything we saw was 100% practical. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's like new technology. Sure. You know, the, the, they didn't really pull out true Edison bulbs. You know, there's yeah. probably LED lights in there. So, but nothing was fabricated digitally. Right. Um, and it was just really enjoyable to watch. So I wouldn't necessarily, like if there was a book based on this show, I wouldn't read it. Like, you know, I, I, I probably won't really listen to the soundtrack because the songs weren't really that impressive. But to go see the show again, I would absolutely go see it again. Um, so because I, I don't think I would necessarily say that the story was one of my favorites or the characters were really, really good. I didn't think that it would get full points of personal taste for me. So that's why I gave it one out of two. Okay, fair enough. And then our last category, as always, is creativity. Um, For one point, I gave this that full point. Uh, I have to admit that mixing jazz, acoustic folk, and industrial music vibes with mythology is a very odd choice. And yet somehow... It works as far as like taking something from like ancient Greek mythology and placing it into this new context. Um, I think it was something that I would not have necessarily thought could work. um, And yet it somehow does. Um, Do I think that the story is necessarily creative? No, but I think that because the aesthetics and music and visuals and just everything being so cohesive because that part, that aspect of the show is so strong. I have to give it full creative points. It just seems like something that it doesn't quite make sense that it would be as entertaining to watch as it turned out to be. Um, I do think that if this was a category that we gave two points to creativity. I don't think I could give it a full two points for creativity simply because I think some of the nuances about the story and the changes and liberties that they made 
are not necessarily creative. They're more just messy. But because the, the I guess, point threshold is a little bit lower, I still felt it was good enough to just kind of eke out over half a point and fall closer to a full point for me. So, Yeah, I actually gave it half a point out of one for creativity. I think that kind of where I didn't give this full points is because Greek theater is nothing new and Greek myths in theater is really nothing new. Greek myths put into different storytelling is really nothing new. Um, I mean, go listen to season one. You can listen to our review of Percy Jackson. Um, You know, a retelling of a Greek myth. And I don't think that's necessarily, you know, new and inventive. Um, But the way that this Greek myth is told is so fresh in the realm of theater. Um, I think that you could make some comparisons to Hamilton because it's a sung through kind of historical-ish. It takes place in the historical United States. Um, It's as far as the setting goes. um, I don't think it's really that warranted though because it's just done very differently. Like it's not the same as Hamilton. It's not the same story. It's, you know, but... It definitely, I think, appeals to the same audience. The similar audience that likes Hamilton would also probably like this show. And I think that another reason I think that it merits credit for creativity is I think it's extremely bold to put a tragedy on Broadway. That's true. That's Most fair. people that go to theater and go to the movies and you know, they don't go to be sad at the yeah. end of it. And the way that this show presents a tragedy, they don't tell you it's a, I mean, they sort of tell you, but they don't tell you it's a tragedy right off the bat, like you're going to be depressed the whole show. Um, But then at the end, they don't excuse or explain away or, you know, try and make you feel better at the end. They're like, yeah, it's a sad story. And you know what? The, the reality is there are a lot of sad stories. Not everybody gets a happy ending. And, but it's still a song story worth telling and a song worth singing. So we're going to keep telling it. And I think that that's just a really unique take on sad stories. Um, so I think that that's extremely ambitious to put a tragedy on Broadway. And then, Another thing that I thought in kind of considering this category is I think it's extremely impressive that this show has expanded beyond the United States. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is because Greek myths are kind of worldwide I at this really point. I was really surprised when you said, did you say that it had a run in South Korea? South Korea. That's mm-hmm. so interesting to yeah. me. I Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's a testament to its popularity yeah I guess. And, and it's universal you know yeah. i think greek myths you know the greek uh the greeks were a incredible civilization and they've impacted you know the western world so i think that it's understandable that a retelling of greek myth and literature if you will would be would impact beyond the united states and then, so because of that, I, I kind of asked the question and I don't have the answer, but will this be one of those musicals that stands the test of time? Maybe. Is this, does this fit into the category of this is, you know, the 2000s, 2010s era of theater? You know, yeah. Hamilton was in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Hades Town in the 2010s. Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. you know, are, is this going to be remembered as what theater was like in, in the 2010s era. in yeah, this, this era? This and I think that it, it probably could. I think it could become, sure. you know, the way that I, I would I, I say this very loosely. So please don't take my word as law. But in the same way that Phantom of the Opera is seen as a staple of right. theater, mm-hmm. could this be... And The Lion King. Yeah. And, yeah. Could this be another, you know, show to stand alongside those yeah. kinds of markers of theater? And I think maybe it could. I think it's too soon to say, and that's why I didn't give it is full points. Is it still on Broadway? I believe it is. Is Hades Town still on Broadway? Because if it survived COVID, I think it has the potential. I think it was closed down. Dur- well, I think it was closed right, down. Right, right, right. But it it came back. Some shows did not. Um, yes, it's at the Walter Kerr Theater. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, perhaps it could. Well, but I think, like, you know, and I think also because it's an original story. It's like, for example, the the uh, Broadway shows that were really big, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, mean Girls, huge. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hades Town, huge. And I think that Beetlejuice and Mean Girls, they're retellings of films. That's true. Those Hades are adaptations. Town, Hades Town is an this original is, story. I mean, it's kind of an adaptation, but it's enough. There's enough liberties taken. They didn't take a film and just right. take the plot of the film and put and it. And put music to it or they, whatever. They took the Greek myth and retold it. The same way Hamilton took the story of Alexander Hamilton and retold it. That's true. You know, he started from source material Sure, but he didn't just take, okay, well, in Mean Girls, we have to have the line, on Wednesdays, we wear pink, so right. we have to have that in the show. Yeah, or like, it's October 3rd, or right. whatever. Right, we, we have the film script, yeah. let's just readapt the film script for, for stage. This took, hey, there's the story from ancient Greece, let's make it into a show. And knowing that it was like a decade-long work before this premiered on Broadway is to be noted as well, Yeah, I think, commendable, so. absolutely. Alrighty. So, all right. What's your final score? My final score is 7 out of 10. My final score is 6 out of 10. Okay. That's not bad. Are you ready for some lightning round questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh, this first one is kind of a two-part question. Okay. So, it's your favorite character, and you can pick differently. So, a favorite character story-based, and a favorite character vocal-based, because the vocals are so impressive in this show. So, you can they can be the same character, or they can be two different. Okay. Favorite character, story-wise, probably Persephone. She's just very interesting, I think, and very different portrayal. Um, actually, I don't know, because part of me was kind of like, mm, I don't know if I like that about her. I think she's interesting. Maybe she's not my favorite. I don't know. I might, I might make a strange choice here. I might say Hermes. Story-wise, even though the story is not his, it's not about him, I think he serves his purpose more perfectly than any other character serves theirs. Um, So I'm going to say Hermes, story-wise. Vocally, I'm really impressed by Orpheus and how he's written. Um, And I commend the men who have had to play him because I'm sure it is not easy. Yeah. So I would say vocally Orpheus. All right. Yeah. I think my answer would be the same for both of them. And I'm going to kind of cheat and say the fates. 
Okay. I think they're extremely interesting as like these, are they real? Are they not? Like, are they metaphor or are they really like humans? Physically there. Like human characters interacting with the world or are they just like the concept of fate and destiny and things outside of your control? And vocally, I think they're just fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's fair. Uh, least favorite character, and you can pick story or vocal. It doesn't. You don't have to pick one for each. I don't think I have a least favorite character vocally because I think everybody's vocal parts are just brilliant. Um, but story wise, I think it's Eurydice. Yeah, same. I think yeah. Eurydice is my least favorite character. Yeah, unfortunately. So Hermes is a great character, though. I really liked Hermes mm-hmm. as a character. Yeah. So, and I think that it's sad. To say this, but, you know, a lot of times the minor characters in stories are people's favorite because, you know, they're ambiguous enough. You don't know enough about them. And I think it's sad in this show to say that because I think Hermes is a popular character. And I don't know if he is or not. So you Hermes uh, Hermes stands can, you know, tell us on social media that you're there. Um, But... Your two, your main cast of Orpheus and Eurydice, you know almost nothing about them. Mm-hmm. And yet you don't really like them because you know nothing about them. And yet Hermes, you know very little about him, but you still like him because yeah. at least what you do know about him is pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. All right. Do you have a favorite song? Um, I was listening to the music uh-huh as i've been doing and i have a few that i really like i really like the fates singing when the chips are down i really like that song um Wait For Me is a beautiful song on its own, so I, I want to give it an honorable mention. But When the Chips Are Down is really fun. Um, and also, I think uh, the it's like the one of the very first songs, but the Anyway the Wind Blows song, I really like that too. I think it's a good setup song. Which one is that? Um, it's when um, her... It's like the introduction of like Eurydice and Orpheus as characters um and Hermes and the Fates kind of lead that uh but it's it's like the scene where Eurydice comes in and she lights the candle at the table and the Fates kind of play around with her a little bit and it's I just think it's a good introduction like a good way to introduce characters and like musically I think it's a really interesting song as well but cool so probably one of those yeah I don't know if I have a favorite song because I have not listened to the music since we saw the show. So my only memory of the songs is literally just from watching it in the show the first time. Um, I like the song. There was a song that the Fates sing. It's not when the chips are down, though. But I feel like they sing another one. They sing a few. Yeah. Um, they sing uh, in Act 2 or Act 1. Do you remember? Mm-mm. In Act 2, they sing Nothing Changes and Word to the Wise. Those are the two songs that the Fates sing. Um, yeah, maybe it was one of those. Yeah, I, I think... I also liked the song... 
at the beginning, just the very beginning, like the opening number was just a really good, like it's a great introduction. It like sets the tone for the whole show. Uh, I remember just like once that song started and like kind of got going, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a good show. I think it's a great opener. So I I liked the, the music overall. I don't have any like complaints um per se but again i think it flowed so well i couldn't tell you like what song specifically Mm -hmm. i really liked um and because it's so visually impressive i feel like there's songs that i liked but i liked it because of the visuals and not as much because of the music part of it um the song when the trombone player got a solo and like came down off the stage was really good too. Yeah, I think that happens in. Oh, maybe you don't. I was gonna say I think that may happen in Our Lady of the Underground, which is like Persephone's like solo. Yeah. Um, at the very beginning of Act Two, but I actually think that might happen. No, I don't earlier. think it with that. Yeah. I think it might happen. It might happen in like Way Down Hazy's Town, like the. The, I think it did. I think it happens in Way Down Hades Town. Yeah, like right that was a good song too. Persephone is being taken back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, do you have a least favorite song? Yes. Uh, oh wow! It, I don't remember the name answer. of it, so let me look at it. But it's it's Eurydice's uh, ballad in Act Two. Oh yeah, Flowers. It's called Flowers. I did not like. That I song. thought it was kind of forgettable. So forgettable, I forget the name. So that's why yeah. I had to look. At oh, it. I remember a song I liked. Going back a question. Mm. Um, I. I thought the lyrics in when Orpheus sings the like the wedding song. Yeah, it's called Wedding Song. I thought the lyrics were just really cute. They are in cute. That song. It is very cute. It was just really cute. I would cute. like it more if they hadn't just met. Right. <laughs> or if they like then built onto it a little more. Yeah. Or like, you know, went in a little deeper than that. But I thought the lyrics when I was yeah, we were it's listening. Very cute. It's very I was like, romantic. These are really these are really sweet. Yeah. Lyrics is really good. Yeah. Like if it, I feel like it would have had a more, and I mean, this is again, just part of the points that we made earlier, but like the fact that like they just met and he's like saying all of this is kind of weird behavior. But like if they had already been like in a relationship for a while right. and he said this, like that's heart fluttering stuff right there. Like, you know, yeah. so I, I, I agree. Mean, I think the lyrics are very cute. You know, like script doctor moment there too. It's like all they would have had to do is just have Eurydice and Orpheus already be in a relationship. Yeah. Like, that's all I would have had to do. Like, you could have introduced her and be like, Eurydice was Orpheus's girlfriend or fiance or, Mm -hmm. you know. And she looks for food every day because he doesn't make a lot of money bussing tables or or something. If they're trying to, like, speed up the relationship... Then sing wedding song and have a little wedding scene at the very end. Boom. Done. They're married. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. Least favorite song, Eurydice song. Mm-hmm. That's mine as well. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is kind of boring. It's not that she sings it bad. It's just kind of forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. It's it kind of feels like a filler. I don't know. When does that take place in the show, too? It's very early in Act 2. Um, so Persephone sings Our Lady of the Underground. Then they have a reprise of Way Down Hades Town, And Eurydice kind of realizes how, like, lonely and boring it is down there. And that's... That's another reason I didn't like it. I was like, well, you picked this. Yeah. This is your... This, you chose this. Yeah. So. Like, I don't feel sorry for you. Um, all right. Next question. Do you have a favorite visual moment? Um, I think it's the swinging lanterns in Wait For Me. It just, it took my breath away when I saw it. And 
I think there are a lot of really visually stunning moments, but that's like the one that's like ingrained in my brain. And just watching them swing out like that and see like the light, because it's like softer light in those lanterns, but just seeing like how it changes, like the shape of the shadows as they move was just really, really beautiful, I think. I think mine is when uh, just the whole part when Orpheus is walking on the turntable, walking out of the underground with Eurydice. And the, I was not expecting it at all, but when the fates all come out with the lanterns and they just like seemingly appear out of the fog with those lanterns, that to me was just absolutely incredible. And it just felt like, I, 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 I know I keep saying this, but it just felt like old theater again. Like yeah. this is using just like the tricks of the trade to like have people appear out of nowhere. And yeah. I just really, really liked that whole, that whole moment. Um, all right, next question. If you could change a character or plot component, what change would you make? I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to use it as my answer. I think if they had had Eurydice die, like starve to death in the winter as Orpheus is focused on his music and that's his realization that brings him out of focus, I think it would have changed the dynamic of what followed from that point forward. Yeah. And I think if they, I, I would say that, or since you've said that, I'm going to pick a different answer. Um, if they took Eurydice out and the story was about Persephone and Hades falling out of love and Orpheus like, like rekindles their love, if you will. And Eurydice isn't even in the, in the story at all. Fair. Just, just take the Eurydice part of the myth out fair or like yeah like um in addition to kind of yours uh, just having the underground the hades town be the land of the dead yeah. i think that's i think that's a huge like if they just changed that one thing so that eurydice was dead then you know it would just change change a lot of things um all right last question if you could tell another myth folklore or fable in this setting and musical style what would you pick Ooh, what a question. You know what would probably be cool? Like a cool fable. It's not a Greek myth, but like a fable that could probably do really well in like a jazz post-depression era context. Something like King Midas's Touch. Wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing? Because like you're coming out of like the depression and like, things are finally starting to flourish again as far as like economically it could be really interesting to have some like a king midas character um and just like the you know his his greed and like love of like hunger of money yeah like i think that could do really well and and with like a jazz kind of style like musical yeah that's a good answer answer. that was the first thing that came into my head so yeah i Wrote these questions and I didn't think of a question before. I didn't think of an answer before I I asked it just now. So, um, I think a good one that would fit, uh, I'm going to go like American, like folklore or, you know, fake lore. If you really, you know, think that that's what it is. It might be, I don't know. But the, uh, the story of, um, John Henry, when he races the steam engine. Oh. And like huh. set that with the jazz blues kind of feel to it. That could be it. interesting. And just like expand on the story. Yeah. A bit, you know. 
fill in some of the gaps. Yeah, fill in some gaps. Make you know keep keep the ending the same if you want to, yeah. but you know. But build build his relations and his, yeah, yeah yeah expand his expand the lore a little bit yeah you know? that could be neat and then just tell it in the same like time frame and the yeah the, um the music that would style work, especially because train travel was so huge around that time yeah so. yeah exactly alrighty any final thoughts no I think I have said everything I have to say all right fantastic well thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode we hope you had a good time we did. If you didn't, or you did, feel free to tell us. Uh, leave us a five-star review on this podcast if you like. Or, you know, if you didn't like it, you can leave us less than five stars. That's fine. We will read them. Either way, if you want links to our show notes, our Patreon, social media, and a suggestion box so you can make a suggestion of what you want us to review next, all of that's available on our website at lionandmousepodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.